going to be kind of... Yes. So tonight we're talking about sex. Yay! Now, as Calvin just said, I got the intimacy talk. Now, because I clearly don't pay attention, I thought the intimacy talk was this term sex talk. So we've already... It's not like we have a termly sex talk. <laughs> I think we do. Like, I genuinely think that's a thing. I think I just have to give it one. Anyway, Sean's too young for this. Sean, you are not too young for this talk. Good to know, Sean. Okay. So, who remembers? Who remembers my intimacy talk? No. When was it? It was the last half term. Okay, does anyone remember some of the things that, some of the main topics that I said? Yeah, I think. Um, like sort of like how, uh, about having an intimate relationship with God and like also sort of focusing on your friendships as well. Like we're at the age where it's important to focus on our friendships um, and like confiding in one another and also like building a close like relationship with God. Yeah. Awesome. Any, anyone else want to add anything else oh. that they remember? Was that at Paul or was that here? It was here. Okay, I, 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 I. So, <laughs> um, so I talked about how intimacy is not just for sex, how there can be intimacy in our friendships, and we looked at Solomon, do you remember that? And how he uh, had an intimate relation, he had, he had a, well, a thousand women, which was 700 wives and 300 Please edit out. <laughs> Concubines. <laughs> Thank you. I feel it. Concubines. Um, and and he, you know, was clearly searching for something that he did not find in women, and he was looking for intimacy. And sex doesn't always give us the intimacy that we're looking for, because the intimacy that we need is with God. There we go. So that's a little bit of that. So today I'm going to be talking about. The mystery of God, which is basically <laughs> um, basically a really good way of saying, I don't know. Like, Wait, God. The Catholic one. No. And that's the first one. Oh, yeah. And that's the nasty. Yeah. My little brain cannot fathom the three things that I'm going to talk about. Um, but God is bigger and better and he knows it all, and so it's, it's okay for it to be a bit mysterious to me and, and for me to only understand a little bit. So I'm going to be talking about the mystery of marriage, the mystery of gender, and the mystery of sex. sex. Well done, Sean. Okay, let's get started. So um, we're going to start with the mystery of marriage, and I'm going to tell you a little story to begin with. Um, so... Yeah, so I was listening to some worship music recently um, and there was a song that came on and it was talking about how God never changes. I don't know what the song was, but it was that kind of, you know, that kind of flavour. And like we hear this quite a lot in church and in worship songs that God is constant, that God is faithful, that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So it's, it's something that's always... Like, I, I know that. Um, and I do believe it. Like, that is, like, quite a foundational part of my faith. 
Um, it's not just that I know it in my head, that you know I've, I've heard it a lot before. Actually, God never changing is like a heart thing. You know when you, you, you don't just know something, it, it, is, it is something you truly believe. So I was listening to the song and quite enjoying it. Um, and then I kind of got this thought about, well, I really don't know what the Bible says about this. Like, I can't think of a Bible verse that actually says God does not change. Like, is this something that is just a sentiment? Is this something that's just like a generalisation that we've kind of taken from bits of the Bible? Like, where does it say specifically God doesn't change? And I just, like, I had this moment of, I need to know. Um, so I Googled it, because Google is awesome. Um, and in Malachi... Because there are, there are other places where people proclaim that God doesn't change, but in Malachi, it's God saying it, like, through Malachi. But, like, it's God saying this. Um, and it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. And just, I then went back and read Malachi, because I've never read Malachi before. Um, and Malachi kind of starts out with, basically, God being like, you say this, but no, you... Yeah. you have not been following me in this way and that way and this way and that way and it's like it's really not good news for the you know for, for the people of Israel um, and then this is the turning point he's like but I do not change and so those of you who are faithful to me those of you who do love me I will come and I will save you and obviously he's pointing to Jesus because the whole Bible points to Jesus um, so yeah it then goes on to say, um, on that day when I act, so when Jesus dies, um, says the mighty Lord, they will be my tre treasured possessions. I will spare them uh, just as the father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. So that I just needed to know that. And that's, yeah. Um, another indicator that shows that God doesn't change is the Bible as a whole. So I'm going to talk about what, Ashley was saying last week about, you know how she said about the Bible flowing and kind of reading like one person's written it? Yeah? Everyone remember that? I'm getting yes. some nods. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we, we, uh, we believe, we believe uh, the Bible is God-breathed. It says that in... Timothy. Thank you. Um, I can't have a go at you because you're singing Bible verse. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, if we look at the Bible as a whole, it starts with a marriage, and it ends with a marriage. Doesn't it start with like the creation of the universe? But then he creates people who then get married very quickly. Oh my gosh, that's like, right. Yeah. So it starts with Adam and Eve, and then in Revelations it talks about the church being Jesus's bride and there's like a whole like load of chapters on it and yeah so this is showing that God doesn't change like it starts here and it ends there and God says I'm the beginning and I'm the end and you know just it just confirms the things that I believe um so there are other times in the bible that 
the church, so the people of God, are described as Jesus' bride. And this is a little bit unusual. Um, So in Ephesians it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave, gave himself for her. Make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as radiant as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless and then uh, John the Baptist basically was kind of saying look I'm not the Messiah like Jesus is coming um, I'm just the friend who waits for the bridegroom but she like the church is Jesus's. Um, so it's a bit odd to wrap our heads around this. Does anyone else feel that? That, you know, we as the church are the bride no. and Jesus is the groom. It's a bit it's a bit unusual, right? Yeah. Um, Question. I was talking about marriage and heaven and stuff. Uh, this morning with my mum and apparently Jesus says at some point that there is no marriage in heaven no there's no marriage in heaven so marriage marriage is supposed to point to this Jesus this this marriage yeah so the the married the first marriage Adam and Eve Mm. that points as soon as they were not siblings, as soon as she was right. created, they were married. We're gonna move on to the, we're gonna explain this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that in a bit. I hope I okay. answer your question. <laughs> if not, ask it at the end. Yeah, I think that this sounds a little bit odd. I think that this even sounds a little bit creepy. Um, a lot of people in the church and some of them are related. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, we have to recognise that God made everything. He knows us. He made marriage. He made sex. And like, this is his creation. It's not... Even if we don't get it, he gets everything. He knows everything. So we're going to... Okay, so now we're going to move on to... The mystery of gender, because he also made us as gendered beings. Whoa. So, God created everything. With my mother, actually. Apparently, there may not be gender in heaven. Anyway, continue. That is discussed in the Bible. Um, God created marriage. It's not a man-made thing. I think sometimes we view it as that. It's not. And God made it for men and women. So... Even if sometimes we don't like it, actually we need to recognise that he made it, he made us, and so he gets to say how it should be. He's the creator, we are the created. Okay, if you make a robot, if you know how to do that, because you're clever, I wouldn't know how to do that. Like you, you know, if you're putting in the code in the computer, now I'm talking about a code, I really don't know how to do that. But you determine the code and then whatever the code says is how it should be. Like, does that make sense, right? He's the creator, we're the created. Um, So, look, if you want to know more specifics and more details about why Jesus gets to say how it should be, a lot of you have gone to different 
New Day talks or we've done talks here about what the Bible says about sex and gender um, and sexuality. If you want to go away and explore that, please do. Um, but ultimately, he made men he, and women. He made two genders. And the reason for that, I have no idea. So, <laughs> this is where the mystery comes in. Um, this guy, Ed, has some ideas about it. A lot of other theologians have some ideas about it, about, you know, why there's difference and there's tension between the, the genders. And ultimately, I still think we don't know why. Like, why, why didn't God just make us one gender? Why didn't he make three? Why didn't he make four? Why didn't he make two? Like, I don't think <coughs> we really get to know. Um, but ultimately, that's what God decided to do. Um, he also, which is, this is where, again, my little brain can't fathom. Um, he made men and women different, not just by the way they look, but he made them actually different. Um, and again, Ed explores a little bit about this. Um, but he also made men and women equal. So you only have to look at the way that Jesus interacts with women in that time and in that culture to see how much God, Jesus, respects women. And obviously at the time that was something culturally different. Um, God doesn't have worldly stereotypical views on gender. He has the only true unfiltered and unbiased view on gender. He knows what the differences are and he calls us to live them out, even if we don't fully understand that, and even if we don't fully understand them. You know, the world has tried to explain the difference between genders by things like Pride and Prejudice, and, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, or whatever that book is. Um, but that is the truth. So now we go on to um, the mystery of sex. Okay. So... We've quickly established that sex is for marriage, which is for a man and a woman. And do you remember last week when Ashley was talking about how we're almost at that vow moment with Jesus? So Jesus, when she was talking about sacrifice, so Jesus has given us everything. He's come and he's died for us on the cross. He's declared that he will have us and love us and you know all that. I can't remember the vows anymore. Um, and now it's our turn. Jesus offers us this, this himself. He offers us everything. He offers us the death that he died for us. And we are the ones that have to accept and return his love. Um, and that does sometimes mean sacrificing things. One of the things that we may need to give up is sex. You might get married. You might never get married and be celibate. You might be attracted to someone of the same sex and therefore need to sacrifice that relationship and sex in that way. But, I mean, this gets us to think then, how do we view sex? Like, why, why is sex a thing? And Ed helps us with this, so I'm going to read some bits out of his book, because I think it's really helpful. Um, he points us to a lot of the Old Testament, <coughs> which uses a lot of 
sexual language to explain God's love for us. So, have you heard of Song of Songs? No. It's got quite a lot of vivid imagery, and that whole book is about Jesus's love of the church and vice versa. But let me read some bits out quickly. Um, Okay. Throughout the Old Testament, God seems to have no hesitation in describing his love for his people in sexual terms. In fact, he seems to deliberately take and use sexual language that he knows will most effectively communicate to us sexual beings the full power of his love for us. Okay. John Piper uh, made this quote. The The ultimate reason, but not the only one, why we are sexual is to make God more deeply knowable. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? The language and imagery of sexuality are the most graphic and most powerful that the Bible uses to describe the relationship between God and his people, both positively when we are faithful and negatively when we are not. So, come to that in a sec. So, Ed says that God created two sexes and sex in this world as a trailer for life in, a, in the world to come. So to help us understand the power of his love for us in the here and now and the pleasure that will be ours when we live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And he kind of goes on to say that film directors put romantic scenes in their trailers to make us want to go to their movies. God has put sex on this planet to make us want to go to heaven. Now that to me is one mind-blowing, two a little bit odd, but three, I think it makes sense. I think it does, even if I never have sex in my life. I understand what sexual desire is, and I can see... Don't see sex in marriage, but like I I can see marriage in other people, and I can see what those people have, and I can then see God's love. And the last bit that I just want to say is a little bit from... So this is at the very end. So Ed, who has written this book, I love the way I keep calling him Ed, even though I don't know him. Um, my pal Ed. Um, he is attracted to guys. Okay, so he is writing this book from this perspective. Like he's not talking at it, having unknown, having not known what those feelings feel like. But he says this. What does he say? He says, but surely then my sexuality can be nothing more than a negative aspect in my life. If he's not having sex because he, you know, God says don't have sex with someone's same gender, and he says, okay. Um, If there can be no prospect of me changing enough to be able to consummate a heterosexual marriage. So he's saying, "What, what good is my sexuality? But then he goes on. I have mo- I've most grasped God loves God's love for me when I have seen it in terms of a man's love for his wife. When I've read passages like Ezekiel 16. Go and read Ezekiel 16. It's brilliant. It kind of talks about um, God loving um, so God loving his people and then his people turning away from him and he kind of uses it as um, an adulterous woman and his anger at that but then his his continuation to love and sacrifice himself to get her back and that is what God has done for us in history but like we can see it like you read the Old Testament it's just God's people just turning away from him over and over and over but he still is faithful to them and he still comes and sends his son and dies for us and will renew us to him like even though 
corporately, as people, and individually, we kind of go, no, go away. He still does this for us. So read Ezekiel 16. It's intense. Um, so <laughs> when I read passages like Ezekiel 16 and felt the full passion of his love for me, my sexuality has allowed me to understand and appreciate the incredible power of the sexual language that God uses there and elsewhere to communicate the passion, the passionate nature of his love for people like me. And when he's saying me, he means everyone. My sexuality might not lead me into a loving marriage, but it does constantly lead me into a greater appreciation of God's love for me in Christ. That is one of the many reasons why I'm profoundly grateful for it. We can look at our sexuality and a lack of having sex as something that we are missing out on. We need to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and we need to talk to God about it. He knows it. He made it. And I think that's what Ed has done and he's come to a really great appreciation of his sexuality even though he's not having sex. I've gone over. I don't care. I hope that makes sense. You should.